You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network, riotcast.com. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave, an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm paging Dr. Steve. Dr. Steve! It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve. With my little pal, Tacey. Hello, Tacey. Hello, everyone. Oh, you're doing the uh, Dave Landau impression. Am I? Hello, everyone. <laughs> well, anyway, okay. <laughs> this, is okay. A, this is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to, it's called parallel thinking, Tacey. It's fine. If you have a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Poohhead, indeed. I don't know if I like saying that. You might need to quit asking me that question. <laughs> okay. Our, it's my way of humiliating the person that I have in the studio. You just, you isn't, isn't being married to you enough? Humiliation. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I kid, I Just kid. I'm read sorry. the script, Steve, and shut the F up. <laughs> okay, visit our website at uh, or website at drsteve.com for podcast medical news and stuff you can buy. Or go to our merchandise store, cafepress.com slash weirdmedicine. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything here with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Hey, uh, don't forget um, to check out stuff.drsteve.com. If you go uh, to stuff.drsteve.com, now there is um, a brand new tools for coping with the social distancing uh, section, quite quite close to the top. And um, check that out. Um, It's a work in progress. I'm just throwing some stuff up there. I found some contactless thermometers that actually are in stock at some places and um, alternatives to toilet paper. I got a bidet and some flushable wipes and some other stuff like that on there. So check it out. Stuff.drsteve.com. And please don't ever forget tweakedaudio.com. Offer code fluid for 33% off your order of the best earbuds for on the market for the price and the best customer service anywhere. And uh, Noom dot drsteve.com if you want to uh, attain your ideal body weight like I did. And uh, I was having a little bit of trouble and I kind of got back with the program on Noom and getting my mind straight again. And uh, my weight's uh, right back down where it was. So I'm feeling pretty good about that. Although every once in a while I just go, oh, what the hell with it? I'm just going to eat. 
you know, which is actually okay on Noom. I do that like twice a day. <laughs> well, okay. So we all deal with this stress differently. But Noom.DrSteve.com gets you two free weeks and 20% off if you do decide to do it. And it's only a three-month program. There's no points. It's not a diet. It's a psychology app. And uh, check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. At least go over there and say hello to the poor little feller. He's been sending me uh, MP3 files of songs that he's been recording in his little studio that he wants us to play when this is all over. So there's a couple of good ones in there. Good. All right. Very good. I don't know if we're ever going to go back. I kind of enjoy having you here. I don't know if I'm ready to commit like that. I already made one commitment with you and... That was enough, right? That, yeah. It's kind of like those people who uh, renew their vows. <laughs> Idiots. Yeah, that is dumb. <laughs> Why would... Would you ever want to do that? No. I think I, it's bad luck, first of all, and I think one contract is enough. I do, too, and I don't think... Um, I'm not sure what... It, someone's guilty when they're, do, when they're doing that. Well, in, in the situation... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> someone's guilty... And uh, we need to renew our vows. And, uh, yeah, I just don't get it. And I don't we don't like really. I mean, this is sounds stupid uh, coming from two people who are on the radio. But we really don't like calling attention to ourselves either, at least not in real life. No, I really don't. Just like, you know, look at me, Mm -hmm. you know. Oh, they're so in love. Shut up. I remember that one time I was watching all those wedding shows and you said, do you want to get married again? And I thought that was the funniest thing. (laughs) I could see the sweat on your forehead. But no, I just like to watch people pick out wedding dresses and and people complain about other people's weddings. That was very reassuring, as I'm sure it was very reassuring when... um, I, when I told you when we were initially dating that you will never have to worry about me asking for any butt ass play. Yes, but it wouldn't matter if you asked for it or not. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> of course. So it... Well, <laughs> give yourself a bill. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, I, for a lot of people that's reassuring. I think there are some women that would be a deal breaker. But anyway, I think for some women that would be. Yeah, they. Yeah. Well, well, if you ain't going to give me that, the hell with you. Yeah, I'm good without it. Get off me, Daddy. You're crushing my cigarettes. <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> but, you know, if you guys do it, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, 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 no judgment in that regard. Simply not interested in 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 any way. Yeah, everybody's different. End. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very profound and very open-minded of you to yes, say. Yes, I know. All right. Um, so I, I want you all to check out our YouTube channel. Well, it's not our YouTube channel. It's the Laugh Buttons YouTube channel where we're doing uh, COVID situation reports. And by me, I say, I mean I. And um, But it, it is a weird place to do sort of a serious uh, pandemic update, a a YouTube channel called The Laugh Button, but it turns out that Matt from the syndicate, uh, Matt Kleinschmidt, uh, who, who owns Riotcast Network, also owns The Laugh Button channel, and he asked me to uh, do some videos over there. And uh, there's some very encouraging signs. I'm doing technical analysis 
on some of these numbers. But now, if you if you're not aware of what that is, that's uh, the stock the swing traders out there, particularly in the stock market, will know what technical analysis is. It's where you look at lagging indicators and try to predict trends. And there are uh, a couple of tools that are really simple. I mean, it's no, not any kind of genius or anything, but I just looked at the graph of the new cases in the United States. Yes, using WHO data, but if you look at it, it's not that different from the Johns Hopkins data. And that's when I started when I was naive <laughs> in the beginning. And so I'm just sort of stuck with this database that I build up. But uh, it's good enough. And... Um, it started looking to me like a stock chart taste. And so I applied some technical analysis using uh, uh, simple moving averages, a five-day simple moving average, and a 20-day simple moving average. And I chose those two numbers because five days is the average amount of time from infection to having symptoms. 96% of people will show symptoms within 11 days. And then 20 days is about the average length of the disease from infection till till you start feeling better. So I uh, it, even then those two numbers are kind of arbitrary. But when you look at those, when the uh, five day moving average crosses under the 20 day moving average, that's a sign of a significant trend downward that you may not see in choppy kind of up and down data, you know. And uh, that's a, what we would call in swing trading a strong sell signal under certain circumstances, which leads you to believe, well, no, it indicates that uh, we're in a downward trend. And I'm starting to see these things now. So uh, I explain that in some detail on the, um, uh, uh, the COVID sit rep from this last week, which was what, Taze? What was Sunday? Today's the 15th. Oh, we're, I we're recording no this on April 15th, so 14th, 13th, the 12th. So it would have been the situation report from uh, April 12th, 2020. And, uh, you know, the problem with us doing these shows in the middle of this pandemic is there's not much replayability for these shows for six months from now. You know, if we take a vacation, they usually go in the vault six months and pull one out. We need to... Uh, flag all of these COVID shows as no replay shows. I just realized that. But anyway, um, but yeah, we're it, it's looking like we are uh, getting into territory where we're starting to decline uh, in new cases. So you will see deaths continue to rise for uh, probably um, 20 to 24 days, and then they will uh, um, start to taper off as well because they lag behind. New cases, uh, they don't die the day that, they, that they're diagnosed. You know, it takes anywhere from uh, uh, 11 days to 24 days before that happens. And hopefully, and we've got some calls here to, uh, talking about things that may result in uh, decreased deaths overall if we're learning how to uh, treat this disease better. So let me just throw out a couple other uh, bits of news. Um, Didier uh, Rayol, the French, um, uh, the French investigator that published the first data on hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, has now published an abstract of over a thousand patients that he treated with uh, hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, and uh, 
the one thing that we can take from it is he said that he didn't see any cardiac toxicity. The problem is in this abstract, it doesn't say how they measured that. Also, there are no controls. So he said 98% of people were quote unquote cured. Well, I mean, if the death rate is 1%, I don't know that that reassures me. Yes. You know, so I want to see the data and uh, we need to see hard published data in controlled trials. Uh, Listen, I'm all ready to be all in with hydroxychloroquine, but we need more than um, anecdotal evidence. And if I tell you something worked for me, that's anecdotal evidence, right? And we we all agree that's the worst kind of evidence. Um, uh, And if I tell you it worked for me a thousand times, it's still anecdotal. It's just I've told you that a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you – you can also cherry pick data. I don't know if we talked – if you and I talked about this. But if I send out – let's say I have a treatment – Let's call it, uh, well, I don't know, just some treatment for fatigue, let's say. And uh, it has a 5% placebo effect, as all things have some placebo effect. So uh, I send out 1,000 of them to people, and it's, it's basically a sugar pill, but it has 5% placebo effect. So how many... Uh, people will send the survey back saying that they got a good result from this then. Matt, yes, I'm asking you a math question. Oh, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right. It would be 50 people. So if it was 10%, if it were a 10%, it would be 100 people, right? And if it's um, 5%, which is a reasonable placebo effect, it would be 50 people. So 50 people send you back a survey saying, yes, I had an excellent uh, result from this. And then you only publish those 50 results on your website. Well, it gets page after page. You've got 50 pages of testimonials from people saying this stuff works great. Okay? It's worthless. So um, uh, that's why we really need controlled trials. You take a thousand people and you treat them with the medication. And if you feel that um, doing a placebo-controlled trial is unethical, that's okay. You can match your thousand people with a, 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 easily find a thousand people that didn't take the drug, and just look at the outcomes. Uh, things that you can measure. If, if you've got data on viral uh, clearing. In the um, in the the control group, great. Well, you can compare it to yours. We did viral PCR levels on all these patients, and uh, it showed clearing at fifty percent faster rate. And and if it's statistically significant, and you can make a good case for that, then you can say it. Um, in this group of mild patients that we treated. 26% of them went to the hospital in this group that we uh, uh, didn't treat, 50%. Something like that. If it's statistically significant, then you can uh, make a make a claim. None of the studies that have been published so far, including Didier Rao's, uh abstract, have anything like this in it. So there are studies ongoing, but they take longer. 
they do take longer, and people are in a rush, in a hurry, and yes. panicking. Yep. So, um, a, a couple of things. I just want to make sure and be reassured that what we're doing by this social distancing and yep. staying the hell at home and all shutting the down time the economy and shutting down the economy is worth it because I see all all these commentators everywhere, you know reminding people about h1n1 and how it it was such a big deal but you know now nobody remembers it yep Um, we said that early on in this that we were talking about this coronavirus and everybody just sort of blew off h1n1 in 2009 but go ahead okay and then also um comparing this to the common cold and and um how it's really just being used to to be weaponized against President Trump. And I don't I don't want to get political, but I do want to make sure that what we're doing is is for a good reason. And, you know, I keep seeing things uh, that talk about how the flu is a big deal and kills more people and nobody cares about that. So why in the hell are we at home? I mean, are these people just misunderstanding things or is what we're doing really necessary? Yeah, that's that's what i'm you know i'm just kind of starting to doubt it i mean i'm in week five of quarantine so getting a little stir crazy yeah i just want to make sure that it's it's you actually did something humanitarian for all mankind the other day just so you could get out just so i could get out of the house i wore a mask the whole time um in the grocery store i came out took my mask what you were doing well but i want to tell this story so i I, I had this mask on i was being very good i and i i came out i took my mask off and immediately before i disinfected my hands i wiped my nose and rubbed my eyes so now apparently i have it because (laughs) i touched everything in the grocery store yeah but you know there's I have a friend who runs um he runs a, a food based charity and he said the need was significant now because all of these hourly, you know, based employees have lost their job and so just everything's the need for food is on such a rise. Um and you know, he said, Can you help? And well, okay, yeah, I've really got nothing better to do. And yeah. and, and and so we did it and we're gonna continue to do it and um all they're wanting really, and I'm sure everybody has a place like this in their area, just high calorie food. That's what it's all about right now, is just yep. high calorie food, getting calories into these people who really just don't have a way to afford food. Or, you know, are on the verge of, of losing where they live, you yeah. know. Yeah. So that's what we did. And, and it's really kind of, I am I don't like to be um, somebody who does a good deed and talks about it. Right. I really just wanted to say it's really hard to um, not touch your face <laughs> and to do things you're not supposed to do. Um, when you're not used to it. Easy to not touch your face when you have a mask on. Yeah, but it's as soon as you take your mask off. Then you touch your face. Right, That's what I did. Because your nose itches. Because your nose itches, and you, yep. and I don't know how people wear glasses and masks at the same time. Because I I couldn't see in the grocery store. I didn't have my glasses on because they kept fogging up. Oh well, I can tell you that because I have glasses and I wear a mask every day. When you first put it on, you have to conform it to your nose. <clears throat> and it might take two or three times to get it right. Okay. But once you do, yeah, then the, okay. the when you breathe, it goes out the side and it doesn't fog up your okay. glasses. I mean, it was, it, yeah, it, it was just, 
it was very exciting to be out, and it was just very hard to remember to social distance and very hard to yeah. do the right things. Oh, I've got one person on my team, and he's a delightful person, but he is one of these close talkers, and I'm constantly like, dude, you are invading my space, and by space, I mean he's you know right on top of me, and it's uh, you know our space is now expanded. Now we really sort of have this feeling. It's amazing how quickly we've gotten used to the idea of being six feet away from everybody else. I'm used to the idea. I'm not used to the practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm out in it more than you are. So, But to your question, H1N1 uh, originated in the Americas. It could have been south of the border. That's one study suggested that. But it was in the Americas. Uh uh, between April 12, 2009, and a year later, there were 60 million H1N1 cases. There were uh, uh, 275,000 hospitalizations, but only uh, 12,000 deaths. So uh, let's, uh, which is why people didn't freak about the H1N1 okay. pandemic. Although we had a listener, Barry the Blade, who started our trucker duty. Uh, uh, bit on this show um, years ago. He died. And our friend Richard David Smith, I believe his ventilator episode was related to the swine flu uh, pandemic as well. He I... is the uh, the owner with his wife, Shatai, of Hyperphysics, the energy drink for nerds. I, I also <laughs> hear, you know, that the media is just controlling this. I, I well, just, I don't understand what their motive would be. Right. So, well, I, let's talk about real numbers then. Uh, let's let's get Echo to give us the answer here. Echo, what is 12,469 percentage? Well, oh, shit, I asked that wrong. <laughs> Echo, never mind. Okay. Phew. Did she light up? I wasn't paying attention. Was Echo, she? what percent of 274304 is 12,469? 12,469 is 4.546% of 274,304. Is that right? It's 4%? Okay, it seems like it would be less than that. Okay, well, anyway... That can't be right. Um, let me get out a dang calculator. I should have done this before the show. I'm sorry. Um, let's. Oh, this is very professional. I, I'm well aware of that. Okay, one, two. Let's just do twelve thousand, so I I don't have to say all the numbers divided by two seventy five. Okay, no, she was right. It's four percent. Can that? Oh, that's hospitalizations. Uh, no wonder. I'm a damn idiot. So it was 4% of the people who were hospitalized. Uh, but of the cases themselves, okay, 60 million. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, uh, Echo, what percent of 60 million is 12,469? That's the question I meant to 12,469 is 0.02078% of 60 million. Okay, so this was an incredibly low percentage of people that died compared to the number of cases. Now, uh, 
COVID-19 deaths are estimated. We first thought it was 3% of cases, and now in the United States, you know, 1, 1.5%, and that's uh, not counting asymptomatic cases. Those are people that we know of. So let's just say it's 1%. So 1% would be um, 10 times more than the usual influenza death rate, which is 0.1%. And it would be, gosh, um, a whole lot more than the swine flu pandemic. So what did she say the percentage was? 0.02%? Is that what she said? I don't know. So <laughs> 0.1 divided by 0.02. So it's five times more, if that's what she said. Hell, I've already forgotten. So we're doing this because of the deaths. Yeah, so, so, yes. Let me, um, so let me finish on, the, on that particular thing. So we are talking about um, uh, if 60 million people got swine flu, uh, and if 60 million people, let's just say that it got the same penetrance into our, into our uh, country as swine flu did, uh, then you're talking 600,000 deaths. And for every one of those deaths, you're talking five times that many people were in the hospital. So times five would be three million people in the hospital. We've got 100,000 ICU beds in this country. So it goes back to just not um, overwhelming the hospital system. Well, when you ha- if all of those people came in at once, which, of course, they wouldn't, but let's say that they came in over a short period of time, then you're talking about people in the halls, in the, uh, you know, stacked up in the emergency room, being treated in the halls of the hospital, uh, and then... This stuff backs up like a pump that's been overprimed in that now you, you know, hospitals right now aren't full of just COVID people. There's people with heart attacks, stroke, congestive heart failure, regular pneumonias, uh, appendicitis. Now none of those people can get into the hospital. This is the sort of catastrophic scenario that they were trying to avoid by shutting the economy down. Now, uh, when we reemerge, People say, well, it's just going to come right back. We're going to be right back. There's another, there is another way to do this. And if you're prepared, uh, you can uh, mitigate in a completely different way. And the way to do that is using the Singapore model, I think. This is my opinion. The Singapore model is you treat this like a sexually transmitted disease. And when you find somebody that's positive, you go and track every single person that they've come into contact with. And if you have an abundance of antibody tests or an abundance of tests, you isolate all those people they came into contact with, and then you test them. And if after five days they're not showing IgM antibodies, which IgM are the rapidly produced antibodies by the body, then they can go back to work and go about their business. If they do, then they have to stay isolated until they're clear. And uh, so there will be a lot of people that are going to go, well, this effing sucks mm-hmm. because I was just at I was just the person that handed this person their their happy meals yeah. at McDonald's and now I got to go isolate but yes but see Singapore's got a you know sort of a different government and a different populace 
And I think it may be a little bit easier to do there. But if we could do that model, most people can be at work. Most people could be at school. They're screening people when they go to school. And um, if anybody is uh, positive, they're isolating them and their family and all of their contacts. But schools are still open. Restaurants are still open, that kind of stuff. And they've got an incredibly low death rate from COVID-19, assuming that their numbers are accurate. I don't have any reason to think that they're not. So uh, there is a way out of this, even if we don't have an adequate treatment and even if we don't have a vaccine. Now, if we do get an adequate treatment, let's just say hydroxychloroquine. Uh, I'm just going to use it as an example. We prove that it actually prevents people from going to the hospital, sort of like influenza vaccine and Tamiflu does for us now for influenza helps prevent hospitalizations, helps prevent deaths. If we can get it down to influenza numbers and say we knock it down by 90%, we all go back to work the next day, the, uh, assuming that we've got enough drug to give people when they get sick. But you got, we, we're gonna, we have to have tests that show we're treating people the second that they get sick instead of waiting until they're at death's door before we treat them. Because then they're in this whole cytokine storm thing that we've talked about before, and hydroxychloroquine ain't going to cut it in that situation, which is why that one study uh, showed that it didn't, didn't provide any benefit because they waited until people were almost dying before they gave it to them. Well, I feel like I ask this question in a different way every week, so yeah, I'm going to okay. try to stop. But um, no, ask it's if you're asking it, I'm guaranteeing you that people out there are asking the same question, and not everybody listens to this show every week. They'd be crazy if they did, to be honest. With you. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> you're listening to Weird Medicine. So let's take a minute to talk about a new sponsor to the show, DeepDiscount.com. It's a great site to buy movies, TV shows, music, electronics, uh, tabletop games. It's insane. There's so much more at really great prices. I'm talking classics from back in the day, hard-to-find titles, and new ones, too. The best part is the prices are incredible and the choices are virtually endless. Look, we're all doing our best to stay inside, so check out deepdiscount.com to grab your favorites and keep you company during this time. Watch what you want when you want. No more wasted time searching and searching, bad edits, or sitting through endless commercials. Stop. Go buy your favorite titles, add to your home collection, and own them forever. You'll find so many great titles, including the complete classic TV series of Police Squad, available right now. What other stuff have you looked at on Okay, Deep so Discount? what I've found are a lot of shows that were on HBO. There are um, some Game of Thrones a season of that on there. Righteous Gemstones. You know... It, and and even Westworld is on there. If for less you, than a couple of months of HBO. Yeah, right. for less than that. And, you know, these streaming apps add up. I mean, what, $4 here, $8 here, $10 here before you know it. Plus your cable, you know, you're, you're spending a fortune on these streaming apps. And then now you can get some really cool stuff on this. And they even have the Jetsons. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, I saw the Jetsons. What is a complete run? Yes, it's a complete run of the Jetsons. And that the, was my favorite growing up. When I was, I, I'm a lot older than you. I saw the Jetsons when it came out. I, if I remember correctly, it was a prime time television show. It wasn't a Saturday morning cartoon. 
It was like, you know, any other regular TV show. That's crazy. It's crazy. And the Flintstones were, too. Um, you know, uh, yes, and don't forget the classic TV series Police Squad. Enjoy every hilarious episode, plus bonus feature interviews that you just don't get when you rent or stream. Get your copy right now on DVD or Blu-ray for one great price at deepdiscount.com. Support our sponsor and own your passion. Thanks, Deep Discount. You want to say thanks, Deep Discount? Thank you, Deep Discount. <laughs> Listening to Weird Medicine. So, um, some other rumors I've heard about the virus. Um, it's mutated into a more deadly strain. I hear it's nothing, it's a joke, and we should ignore it and go back to regular <laughs> life. Or it's it's mutated into a more deadly strain. Um, what are what are your thoughts on that? I, I mean, I, I believe that's okay. not true. Most of the time, viruses, when they mutate mutate to a less deadly strain. Why? Because if you kill somebody, if you're a virus and you kill somebody, you can't transmit your genetic material anymore from that person, from the minute that they die. And uh, that's why Ebola, that, that's one of the hypotheses anyway, why Ebola just hasn't taken over the world, because it kills people so fast and at such a high rate that it just can't uh, transmit itself to enough people, and there aren't asymptomatic carriers of that that we know of, um, at least not in the beginning part of the disease. So you can isolate those people pretty quickly and uh, isolate the people around them that have come into contact with them. Uh, most mutations that happen with a virus are actually harmful to the virus itself. They make the thing not work. It's very unusual for them to have a more effective mutation. But if you're, you know, you're talking about an almost infinite number of instances, there will be some mutations. Yes, these things will mutate and then we'll have to fight another one. Uh, but, um, you know, you brought up this concept of coronavirus being a cold. Well, it is. Colds are picornaviruses, or a.k.a. rhinoviruses, and coronaviruses. Those are the majority of colds that are out there. And uh, they do mutate around so that they can infect you again, and most of the time you just have, mount this immune response to it that causes you to uh, cough and snot your nose and stuff like that, and then it's gone. You give it to a few people, and, and you're done with it. And so that's where that comes from. Coronaviruses are colds, and this is a cold that is just um, killing people, you know, because it's mounting uh, – uh, some people's bodies are mounting an insane response to this, uh, to this virus. So. Um, another rumor I've heard are uh, patients who have recovered. You know, you hear about patients who recover, but they test positive again. Are they able to um, transmit the virus? Another – uh, you know, and I yell at the TV because every time there's a doctor on and they ask someone asks a question, they say, oh, that's a great question. I get so sick of hearing that. But that is a great question. Um, there are people out there. They've been few and far between, but there have been a few that have tested negative a couple of times and then all of a sudden test positive again. And uh, there are a couple of hypotheses about this. One is that the tests that they're using on these folks, sometimes uh, the polymerase chain reaction test can have a false negative rate as high as 20 percent. 
So that means if you take 100 people that all have the virus, maybe only 80 of them will show up as being positive. So uh, retesting is always a smart thing to do in a situation like that. Well, if you've got a 20% false negative rate, the odds of getting two false negatives in a row is 4%. So it's non-zero. It's unlikely. 96% of the time, the second test will be positive. Or, or one or the two tests will be positive. But um, uh, the odds of getting, uh, as I said, two negatives in a row is 4%. So you um, can uh, uh, see this happen. And then the third test is positive. It looks like that, well, it went away and then it came back. But actually, it was always there. The question is, on the these people that are testing positive after they've tested negative or been negative for a while, are they reinfected? Uh, are they, or are they just detecting residual viral RNA in the nose? Because we're not really detecting virus. The test can't tell whether you can be infected by it. It just detects the viral genetic material. And if you've broken up all those viruses and they're non-viable, you could still detect the viral RNA and say, well, this is a positive test. So uh, the only way to know if those particles that they're detecting are, are actually virulent would be to grow them in viral culture. You know, you put them in a, in a, a Petri dish with a bunch of cells and see if they multiply. And they're not doing that. So um, it's very interesting. No one knows. The, the real question I've been asking about these people that are showing up positive, are they getting sick? Because if they're not getting sick, it doesn't really matter. It really does matter. Can they transmit it to other people? And that we just don't know the answer to yet. Okay. Um, another one I have, you have to is, assume so. is um, e- eating garlic or taking vitamin C can help keep the virus away. <laughs> oh, now the vitamin C. Now they're doing some studies on high dose vitamin C. Uh, giving it intravenous, intravenously to people who are really sick. And there have been some claims that there's some positive results from that. But I've seen no evidence that taking vitamin C nor taking uh, garlic or any other supplement like elderberries actually prevents you from getting the disease. The thing that can prevents you from getting the disease is not being around people who are sick and washing your hands and not touching your stupid face. Which is hard. It is. Um, it is hard. And so you're pregnant. Can I you, am? Well, <laughs> surprise, oh, I am. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Pregnant women can transmit the virus to the, the baby. Sure. Well, you're well aware of this. Yes. I, I did that with um, our youngest. Um, yeah, you had a cold. It was a terrible cold. And it turned out it was RSV. They would not treat me because they were afraid it would hurt the baby in Nothing utero. to treat. Nothing to treat. It was a mm-hmm. virus. Still upset about it. Well, <laughs> well, Had the baby, and then um, the baby got sick as shit. Yeah, five days later, Almost he had died. a temp of 105. But little uh, plug for breastfeeding. You saved his life. Because you had had the virus, you had... IgA antibodies in your breast milk that you transmitted to him, and that 
saved not only his life, but also saved him from certain serious sequelae that we often see in newborns that get respiratory syncytial virus. Because if you remember, the nurses were like shaking their heads when we brought him in. Oh, he's got, you know, he's really, really sick. We don't know. And if he does survive, he's going to have horrible asthma. And that kid is as hale and hearty as any kid possible. But you saved his life by um, having, by breastfeeding him all throughout that. And for that, I give you one of these. Thank you very much. All I wanted was a little cough syrup. Couldn't get that. <laughs> well, that's a whole different but thing. Anyway, um, so, I, and, and last last thing I would like, I saw so on. So breastfeed, everybody, yes, as long as you can. If you if you can. But now listen, there are some people who can't, and it, and it shouldn't be a competition from woman to woman. I had a friend who Agreed. could um, breastfeed, and it was easy for her. It was a joke for her, and she tr- really made me feel like I was less of a human because I just was not producing milk with she my She said first. that to you? I mean, she said, what did she say? No, I mean, she was just like, oh, it's easy oh, to taste. Yeah. Just, you know, just just do it. And then and here I am pumping every 30 minutes. Yeah. Here we resting were Resting for 15. Uh, <laughs> no, me. And then. Um, okay. Breastfeeding for 30. I mean, it was a nightmare. And yeah. so I just don't, I, I, I hate that competition between women. So. If you can, breastfeeding is good. going to throw if this out there. I remember you being asleep and me, you know. Uh, it was horrible. Pumping, putting the pumps on you and uh, catag- and uh, um, catag- uh, cataloging all the breast milk. And it was, yeah, you were producing maybe an ounce extra every time. And you remember my niece? Yes, she was a, a milk cow. We re- went to her house. Ridiculous. Tell that story. So we, she's giving us all the stuff she doesn't need anymore for her um, for her child. And she had a double freezer downstairs, and she opened it up, and it was just a freezer full of breast milk. Nothing, and, but it was gallons and gallons and gallons. And I just looked at her and said, what are you? That's exactly how I remember and, it, um, <laughs> and Well, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way for me. No. So, um, Although... Uh, the second time, it was a little. It seemed a little easier, and it, it was did, easier. It did save his life. So, so again. if you are a woman and listening to this, and if you're shaming a friend because she doesn't seem to be able to breastfeed, that's naughty. Yeah, and if you feel ashamed, yeah, it just sometimes it. You know, we had. I remember with our first, you would feed him, and then we had to weigh him before and after just to kind of gauge how much he was actually getting and the doctor handed me a can of formula and said just do this i mean but you know even a little bit helps and the little kid looks like he's a little ethiopian baby starved to death in his pictures it's really it's pitiful he was cute he looked like a little alien cute little skinny thing but anyway (laughs) he still is so and and last last thing i have that i found on facebook that kind of really freaked me out this morning was it said you know how those marked safe from little set facebook posts i found one that said marked in danger from massive government overreach and crippling national debt and that's why i get so freaked out about all of this um you know 
the economy just being dead and us staying at home and people saying it's not necessary. Yeah. And that's why I keep asking you questions. Yep. Well, um, where we were at the time, I don't think there was any choice. Now, when we emerge from this, we don't have to go back to this, I don't think, if we're smart about it. So we'll just see how smart we are. And again, any treatment that comes out that and remdesivir trials are coming down the pike as well. And I'm going to have to give it to Gilead Labs, the creators of remdesivir. They did this for uh, they they initially developed it, hoping it would be a good Ebola drug, but it wasn't. But it showed some activity in MERS, you know, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, um, yeah, syndrome. And it, um, uh, but there were so few cases of it, they really couldn't prove anything. So they've got tons and tons of cases now. And uh, I read an article that said that uh, the remdesivir, when it comes out, it's going to be like nine bucks a dose. Oh, that's good. Which they could jack that up. I mean, if... What was that guy, Shkreli or Shkreli or whoever? I mean, you know, thank goodness he's not running this corporation because it or, you know, or maybe it is you have to take a million doses. But still, you know, it's nine bucks a dose. And uh, I'm very proud of them for uh, for uh, not uh, jacking up the price on this stuff and making it available for compassionate use as well. So those trials, it's in stage three uh, or phase three trials right now. We should have numbers on that very soon. All right. You want to take some questions? Yes. I'm sorry, everyone, that I just need to take care of my paranoia. And then we take questions. I guess that's right. how this shows. Well, you know, go. there's no paranoia in any of these questions whatsoever. Let's, okay. Uh, let's. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. All right. Let's see here. You're going to see how much like everyone else you are, to be honest. Uh-oh. Okay. It would be helpful if I started. Hey, Dr. Steve. How are you? Good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Hey, good. Thanks good. for keeping us all updated. Oh, how are you? Uh, Thanks. My question <laughs> is, can mosquitoes actually transfer COVID-19? Is it possible, let's say, bite somebody with it, and then I get bit next? What's the possibility? Oh, I haven't thought of that one yet. Well, um, and I'm biting my tongue not to say great question on all of these, okay? That's something to worry about tonight. I'll have to write that down. You don't have to worry about it. There's zero evidence that mosquitoes have the receptor required to transmit this this virus. So in humans, uh, it cleaves to an ACE2 receptor. And for this to be receptor-free, in other words, for the mosquitoes to be able to do this without having receptors, we'd have to have a condition called viremia, meaning that the virus would have to be floating around in our bloodstream. And it's not really doing that. It's sticking to mucous membranes and causing inflammation and then causing, uh, and then you swallow it and it ends up in the GI tract and things like that. You don't really have this massive viremia that is required for a mosquito to suck up viruses from your arm and then deposit them in my arm. And they don't have the receptors. So, so far, there's no evidence whatsoever that this is a mosquito-borne virus. And as a matter of fact, I'm not aware of any coronaviruses that are mosquito-transmitted. So that's good. All right? Okay. Okay, good. 
probably still going to worry about it, though. <laughs> hey, Dr. Steve, this is Phil in Tampa. I'm calling because um, you know, ever since this outbreak happened with the COVID, I've heard from everybody I've known in my life that they've never seen anything like this before in their lives. That's uh, right. I'm only 33, and I certainly don't remember you know, maybe H1N1, but never to this extent. So just calling to see, you know, maybe has there been a story in your professional career that was your first, I've never seen anything like this before, uh, whether it was a disease or a patient, something crazy, you know, maybe something funny you could share with the crowd. Um, and that's all. And- oh, well, the yes, but it's not, it's not funny. Well, I, the one thing I saw, saw the, for the first time and hope to never see again was the worst death that I've ever experienced. And this was a person that had an aortoesophageal fistula. And what this is is a communication between the aorta, which is the large high-pressure blood vessel that comes out of the heart, and their esophagus. Okay? And so this person had an esophageal cancer, ate through their esophagus, and started eating into the aorta. And when it finally accomplished its task, the person sort of stood up and opened their mouth, and four pumps, all of their blood came shooting out of their mouth against the wall, splattering against the wall 10 feet away, and uh, they keeled over, and that was the end of that. So, yes. and Where I, was this? That was in medical school. Way before you were even born. Did they have symptoms? Yes. Well, they had, yeah. Yeah, they had symptoms of, uh, you know, esophageal pain. This is an extremely rare, rare once-in-a-lifetime type thing, and most people will never see it. I just had the misfortune of seeing such a thing. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it was awful. Dudley and Bob, uh, whose show I've been on several times, Dale Dudley out of Austin, Texas, um, asked me what was the worst death I ever witnessed, and I told them that story, and they keep asking me, well, what's the second worst? And I can't come up with anything. I mean, that was just so insanely yeah. awful that any other thing I've seen has been not even comes close to that. So they're all just sort of bunched up at the at the bottom. So, But anyway, um, yeah, you know, no one has seen this before. The, uh, very few people that are living. My dad... Uh, lived through the pandemic of 1918, but he was two years old. He was born in 1916, and he died several years ago. So there are some people around that probably lived through that uh, H1N1 pandemic. I just want to throw out, um, Google the plague of Justinian. This was in uh, 541 AD, and then it came back and forth and back and forth for almost 200 years. It was a pandemic that afflicted the Byzantine Empire and particularly Constantinople, which is now, I guess, what, um, Istanbul, right? Uh, 25 to 100 million people died from that. And it was uh, that was equivalent to half of Europe's population at the time of the first outbreak. So it, it didn't kill that many people all at once. It was over uh, a couple hundred years. But it uh, completely just caused upheaval. You know, back then they had no idea what germs were or how to uh, uh, avoid getting sick. And um, it was caused by Yersinia pestis, which is the uh, same uh, organism that caused the Black Death. And uh, this organism lives in fleas that live on rats. And then there you go.
And uh, we back in those days, we were living with rats all the time. And the fleas would jump over, you know, bite people. And then uh, the, the uh, black death would occur. Now, why it went away? Hell, I don't know. It was a pretty successful plague. So it just kind of petered out on its own. It uh, returned until the 8th century. And uh, they had a major effect on European history, as this one is going to have with ours. But it was um, way, way worse than this. So there have been much worse plagues in the past. But they were to our ancestors, so really, who gives a shit? This is this is us right now. It doesn't really make you feel better that there were worse plagues in the past. All right. Let's see. Do I have? Oh, no, I've got a good one. This this is COVID related, but but less oh, less horrible. They're doing okay, and everybody else. Go. That's Stacy Deloach, everybody. <laughs> Lest I not acknowledge that it's him. For the, that's for the one Twitter guy that yelled at me that said, I hate it when Dr. Steve takes your questions and doesn't acknowledge you. So God forbid that I don't acknowledge. <laughs> Stacy Deloach, everybody. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I had a quick question. I was listening to you, Alan, and you were doing another podcast with a guy out on Long Island. Anyway, talking about the virus and all the different possible cures for it, how would you – Go about volunteering to be in the trials. Okay. You know, if they're going to try to come up with some way to prevent the coronavirus, can somebody just volunteer to take the injection to see if it actually works? Or- yeah, so um, you, you absolutely can. And uh, if you want to volunteer for the um, vaccine trials, you can do it right now. And here is the address. It is vaccines at NIH.gov. That's NovemberIndiaHotel.gov. Vaccines at NIH.gov. Or you can call 866-833-LIFE, L-I-F-E. And uh, the other place that you can go if you want to enroll in a clinical trial is clinicaltrials.gov. And then you just put in covid 19 and uh, click uh, to filter by those that are recruiting, and you can see what's out there. And if there's something that interests you and you meet the criteria, there may be some things for asymptomatic people. There may be some vaccine trials out there. Uh, if you're sick or you know someone that's sick, uh, there may be a trial out there for them as well. So check that out, clinicaltrials.gov. All right. Excellent. Uh, Excellent question. All right. I'm sure this one will be similar. I haven't talked to you in quite a while. It's been, uh, I think, it's been several months, and I apologize for not getting back to you any sooner. You and I last said that I would contact you. And it was about that uh, thing we talked about where, you, you know, I, I think I agree 100%, and I think you means a lot to me. And uh, if you just give me a little bit more information along that line. I mean, I don't think that... Have you ever heard that um, Richard Christie phony phone call where he calls Tradio and says, well, I got an item for sale, and it's an item, and it's a really nice item. (laughs) I was wondering if I missed the question. Possibly those other things, side of of this, some of the 
some of the little ones we had kind of the bullet marks by I think those those would be those would be those would be kind of advisable and uh, anyway I don't want to keep a lot of hold a lot of your time here because I know you're a busy man and I need okay <clears throat> we got a minute 23 let's see if this goes anywhere you got a lot of messages on this machine and you're probably going to want to listen to one that is overextendedly long and I apologize for that from the get go but <laughs> I'd just like to say if you don't mind if, could, if I could say if I got five seconds of course give me five minutes here I'd like to tell you a few things about myself okay <laughs> my name is Chris Christopherson I'm not the folk singer as you as you can quite imagine but uh, anyway I do happen to have the same name same moniker as it were and uh, you know whatever you want sobriquet and aka that is my name Anyway, let's not go any further than that. Let's cover the base. I want to tell you about a little bit about myself. I was born in Kentucky in 1943, <laughs> and I'm, you know, kind of getting up there, and you're closer to your age bracket. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, I followed your show for years, and I think very highly of it. I think, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I have communicated with you several times on your program, sending requests for information, dealing with anal hemorrhoids and other things. <laughs> But anyway, let's not go into that. It's not even there. I'm sure you don't want to hear a lot of claptrap or long-winded discussions about things that aren't really germane to, you know, the reason why I called here in the first place. And Dr. Steve... Okay. You know what I'll do is I'll just, I'll put the whole phone call at the end of the show. How about that? How long is it? I don't... It's like five minutes long. <laughs> Chris Christofferson. That's his... Nom de telephone. That was one uh, euphemism he didn't use. Um, all right, so we'll do that. But uh, yeah, thanks for being here, and uh, I, I really enjoy doing these shows with you. Is it done? Yeah, no. I mean, we're we're still talking. Oh, we're still talking. Oh well, you're welcome, Steve. Do you think I, really I just enjoy <laughs> said that to you? <laughs> I thought it was a little odd. No, but I I would say that to you, honey. I do enjoy doing these with you, and uh, thanks for being here. Well, you're welcome, because I got nowhere else to go. (laughs) Well, we can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Matt Kleinschmidt, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, uh, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, Sirius XM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks go to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, get off your asses, and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine. Thank you, Tacey. Thank you. several months and I apologize for not getting back to you any sooner even I last said that I would contact you and it was about that uh, thing we talked about where you you know I, I think I agree 100% and I think you're it means a lot to me and uh, if you just give me a little bit more information along that line I mean I don't think that necessarily I should 
follow through on everything we talked about, but possibly possibly those other things, side side events, some of the some of the little ones we had kind of the bullet marks by. I think those those would be those would be those would be kind of advisable. And uh anyway, I don't want to keep a lot of hold a lot of your time here because I know you're a busy man and you got a lot of messages on this machine and you I'm probably gonna want to listen to one that is overextendedly long and I apologize for that from the get go, but I'd just like to say, if you don't mind, if I could say, if I got five seconds, you give me five minutes here, I'd like to tell you a few things about myself. Okay, my name is Chris Christopherson. I'm not the folk singer as you as you can quite imagine, but uh, anyway, I do happen to have the same name, same moniker as it were, and uh, you know whatever you want to call sobriquet and AKA that is my name. Anyway, let's not go any further than that. Let's cover the base. I want to tell you about a little bit about myself. I was born in Kentucky in 1943, and I'm you know kind of getting up there in your closer to your age bracket. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know I followed your show for years, and I think very highly of it. I think I don't know if you remember me or not, but I have communicated with you several times on your program, sending requests for information dealing with anal hemorrhoids and other things of that nature. But anyway, let's not go into that. It's not here or there. I'm sure you don't want to hear a lot of claptrap or long-winded discussions about things that aren't really germane to, you know, the reason why I call here in the first place. And, Dr. Steve, I'd just like to say, you can narrow me down to one, one question. If I could ask you one question, if you don't mind, if you could answer this, you would help me so much. I can't tell you how, how, how much it would help me if you would just, if you would just maybe take five seconds and think about the question I'm getting ready to ask you and, and tell me this. Tell me in your best judgment. And I, I tell you what, it made it sound like you might be thinking to yourself, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? What do I say? You know, well, in this case, it's going to make a lot of difference, Dr. Steve. It's going to make a lot of difference. It made myself understood here. You're going, your decision, your, your choice of words here is very important. So let me ask the question, if you don't mind. I want to proceed here and, and cut to the quick, because I know your time is valuable. Yada, yada, yada. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. I keep, I keep paraphrasing here. But anyway, uh, Dr. Steve, so, you know, the question is, the question is, the question is, what in your... 